Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. With Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I am your esteemed host, Rich Hansen. Uh, joining me this week is just Sean Ennis. Not as in, you know, it's just Sean. Although I can understand your confusion because sometimes that's what it means. It means that Jamie bailed um, and he is no longer with us this week. Uh, so, Sean, how are you doing tonight? Well, I was going to take offense to the whole just comment until you beat it into the ground, but now there's no use commenting on it anymore. Right. I figure if I just overdo it so badly that I kill every dead horse, so what are you going to do that's, you know, you have nothing to say now. Pretty much. That, that's the role of a good host, by the way, to beat so many dead horses that your analyst has nothing to say. Is that how that goes? That's exactly how that goes. And I figure if I just keep doing that, then we can spend the next hour and a half talking about how my fantasy football team tuckered you. Yeah, I did. I definitely got tuckered. That is the word for it. You did get tuckered, and we will we will certainly go over that because I do think, despite the fact that I know everybody who's listening hates two things: hearing bad beat stories from poker players and hearing about your fantasy football team. You're going to hear about one of them in the last half hour of the show. <laughs> And I haven't played poker in a long time. But let's, let's get to the big stuff. We do have a lot of discussion points tonight. Um, in, do we? It, yeah, we do. We really, really do. In no particular order. Um, I was out in Sacramento for the Fox show, so I had that vantage point uh, where Demetrius Johnson cemented himself as pretty much literally untouchable. And I'm going to try and make the argument later tonight that he is the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Um, George St. Pierre has vacated his title, which kind of goes hand-in-hand with the vacancy at the top of the pound-for-pound rankings. We will definitely get into that, how he uh, vacated his title to take some time off, how Dana White and UFC have reacted to that. UFC 171 is going to be um, featuring a Johnny Hendricks title fight down in Dallas. Uh, I'm assuming that you're listening to it, so I'm not going to tease it out for 40 minutes. Robbie Lawler is getting the shot. Uh, also on that card will be Carlos Condit versus Tyron Woodley. John Jones versus Glover Chair has been pushed off of that one and is going to be at UFC 1, which is my way of saying we have no idea. They yeah. say 172, but at this point, can you really count on that? When we're at 168 and you're talking about 172, you might as well not even say a number. Exactly. Just say it'll happen. It'll happen. Uh, in case you have an extra $5 to burn, you can immediately burn it by buying UFC 168 because that's going to be $60 in HD instead of 55 It's a one-time-only deal. And we have a lot more to talk about. So instead of just blowing the entire show in the first four and a half minutes, let's talk about the UFC on Fox show. I thought uh, we were done. Week. Didn't we just talk about everything? Yeah, well, we, we highlighted. So oh. now people know how to, to be able to, you know, figure out how far in they have to fast-forward on, on the 
the download of the podcast in order to get to the good stuff. I am learning so much today. Yes, and and the good stuff will be the Justin Tucker conversation at exactly seventy five minutes into the into the recording. <laughs> but seriously, let's start out with uh, the main event from Saturday night uh, at UFC on Fox: Johnson versus Benavides in a fight which was supposed to be a coin flip fight, to, to very similar to the first one. Uh, there were a lot of people going in this fight who thought Benavides had better than a 50-50 chance. There were a lot of people that thought Demetrius Johnson had about a 50-50 chance. I think every single prediction out there was decision, and then Demetrius Johnson wins by knockout with maybe the biggest knockout of the year, and I don't remember a main event surprise finish more than, than what he did with that perfect right hand just under the eye, just to the side of the nose, Joseph Benavides. He was done. Do you remember the last time you jumped out of your seat and had a holy shit moment like you had, like you must have had if you have a soul on Saturday night? Uh, not in the main event like that. Um, I think the last time was probably the uh, Czech Congo and uh, Pat Berry fight. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Czech Congo is in main event. Oh, he still is. <laughs> well, that's the... Well, I wouldn't count Bellator main events as actual main events. Um, it, it was the, the finish of Johnson Benavides was almost the polar opposite yeah. <laughs> of the Anthony Pettis fight over Ben Henderson in Milwaukee because yeah. there was such a delayed reaction for that before everyone blew up. And in here, there was an immediate reaction, and then the whole building went quiet. Yeah, I was just going to ask you how the how the reaction was in Sacramento since they were I all just, obviously on uh, Benavides. Well, I you know, we're, we're going backwards. Oh, okay, that's right. It's like Jeopardy. Yeah, well, you go backwards too much, some people aren't going to know when to listen to me taunting you about Justin Tucker. <laughs> we have to hold the schedule. We got, yeah, I, I We even apologize. bumped John Anik just to make sure we had enough time for this, for Christ's sake. <laughs> no, um, it, was, it was really surprising. I, I don't remember the last time we saw an upset knockout, uh, you know, outside of uh, Matt Sarah, George St. Pierre. Now, that was probably a bigger upset because, uh, you know, you're talking about here, you're talking about at least two elite-level fighters, Um and uh, but you know I think Jamie and I both picked Benavidez last week, and I think Jamie even had him by stoppage. Um, if you know, I might have had him by stoppage too. I don't know. I, I thought that was probably the most likely outcome if a stoppage was going to happen that Benavidez was going to get it. So you know, seeing a guy who hasn't won by knockout since you know I don't even know what, what the last time was he won by knockout if ever. You know, yeah, that was pretty it was surprising. Before he was a, before he signed with the WEC. He yeah. never finished anything in Zufa other than the arm bar over John Moraga and then all the way back to Damasio Page at WEC 52 with a choke. That's yeah, it looks, it. Like, it looks like the last knockout was in uh, 2010 at the Alaska Fighting Championship. So, you Cody, know, that's a was, Cody, Cody McKenzie must have been on that card. He must have been. <laughs> it's a pretty surprising result. Um, yes, that's the point. I yes. mean, he, he had that knockout in Alaska. He had what we saw tonight. And then, like, his first two fights against guys who in the hell knows who they are. That's yeah. it. I mean, I mean, you just can't count on even a TKO from ground and pound from this guy. And then here he goes and... and one-punch knockout over a guy who is head and shoulders above every other flyweight in the world, except for Mighty Mouse Johnson. Yeah, and who's never been finished up to right. this point. Yeah, good point. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, I don't even know, really know where to go off 
on this tangent because, I mean, I want to try and say, okay, what does this say about, you know, the alpha male guys, how, you know, they win every single fight more or less, say 90% in, in the UFC under Dwayne Ludwig except for title fights. But it's not like there have been that many title fights under Dwayne Ludwig. I believe there's been one. Yeah. So it's really hard to ascribe anything to this other than, A, Joseph Benavides got caught by something nobody should have expected, and B, Demetrius Johnson is much, much better than anybody ever thought he was. And there were a lot of people saying he's getting close to top five uh, pound for pound. What I want to know from you, I know you don't like rankings, and, and you decline to participate every month because you know, that would take eight minutes of your life away from, from your 17 kids that you've got in your house. Um, but if you were forced, and you are forced, to, to rank Demetrius Johnson pound for pound, how high up do you put him after seeing what he's done since he's won the title? Um, seeing the... I think what tells the story of Demetrius Johnson is the vast improvement from fight to fight. Because mm. this is not, I mean, if you watch the first Ian McCall fight, just, just from the first Ian McCall, might, uh, McCall fight to the second Ian McCall fight, and then from there to, to now, I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, the, the, the leaps that he has made in, you know, his, his patience, his ability to adjust to mid-fight, it's just unbelievable. Um, you know, Joseph Benavidez is a guy that was wrecking people. I mean, it's not when he fights guys, it's not close. He's like the 125-pound uh, Uriah right. Faber. Yeah. You know, it's in you know coincidence obviously that they're both alpha male guys. But if he's that much better, if he's actually this much better than Joseph Benavidez, I don't know who's going to beat this guy. You know, if if people can no longer catch up to him, and if he's got this kind of power when he does catch people. That's going to be problems, you know, for uh, for everybody. Um, so, you know, where do I see him in the pound for pound? Um, I mean, it's got to put him in top five, I think. You know, at it's, least it's it's tough because and top four if you discount George St. Pierre because we're not going to see him fight for a minimum of several months, possibly right. never again. Right. And, you know, I don't know. Do I do I have him above? Jeez, ah, it, it's tough because you've got John Jones, you've got. Uh, Jose Aldo, which I think that problem ha- I'd have him above Aldo. Um, really? I, think I was so. going to say just the opposite. I was going to make the case that the only reason I can't put him number one is because Jose Aldo has one loss in his career. Yeah, that's it. I, I think you can make the argument um, either way, really. I mean, you know, I'm not going to. Right. I, I, I wouldn't you hate uh, rankings to begin with. I just, I just, and that's why I hate him because there's, <laughs> there's. I like things because that are you concrete. refuse to take a stand. I do. I refuse to take a stand on anything, I, and I, uh, I prefer to waffle. I enjoy waffles. Well, I and, hope you uh, don't drive your father's uh, fantastic Ferrari out of the uh, the glassed-in porch, Cameron. <laughs> well, Jose Aldo hasn't lost a fight since 2005. It, it's really true. hard. But to, he's to also shown. It. I think he's shown more chinks in the armor than we've seen out of Johnson. I mean, yeah, but it's. I agree with that, and Johnson seems to be getting better and better, but, but Aldo has wiped out his division, I think, twice now. I, I mean, he, he wiped out the WEC division, then he wiped out the UFC's division, and now a new crop. I mean, does anyone really think that Cub Swanson is going to beat him this time around, or that Carter Lamas coming off of a win over Eric Koch is suddenly the guy, you know? 
That's a fair, that's a fair point. And like I know said, it is. I yeah. made the point. You know, like, like I said, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I'm not going to stand firm that uh, that Johnson is better than Aldo. But you know, I would probably if I was making the pound for pound rankings, I would probably put. Ah, uh, jeez, I'd probably put John Jones at the top. I'd probably put. Um, see, I. I would probably rank rank Cain uh, Velasquez higher than a lot of a lot of people would, just because I think the gulf between him and the rest of the heavyweights is so large, um, and just the the tools that he has in that division, I think translate well to you know mm-hmm. to, to a pound for pound thing. So um, I probably have John Jones and then some combination of let's say you know I'm I'm just gonna put Cain Velasquez number two. Fair enough. And then Demetrius Johnson and Jose Aldo. That's my that's my top four. Yeah, and can't really argue with that. I think there is considering the improvement, and, and let's just go over this stretch of Demetrius Johnson's record. He came over after losing to Brad Pickett at WEC forty eight. He has gone since that point one loss, one draw, nine wins. The, the loss was to Dominic Cruz at 135, and Demetrius Johnson's always been a flyweight who was forced to fight a bantamweight. And when he was fighting at 135, he beat Miguel Torres, he beat Kid Yamamoto. You know, some people would argue with the Torres decision, but he still got his hand raised. Yeah. You know, he loses to... He, so he fights relatively poorly against Miguel Torres. This is back almost three years... God, two and a half years ago, May of 2011. Uh, he then loses to Dominic Cruz. We haven't seen Dominic Cruz since, so we can say even in defeat, Demetrius Johnson's such a killer that he put Dominic Cruz on the shelf for two and a half years. No, I don't think we can say that. <laughs> um, he then goes out and has a draw against Ian McCall down in in Australia in a fight that if it would have went the four rounds it was supposed to, he wasn't winning that fourth round. Yeah. And then he comes back and looks fantastic against Ian McCall. And then wins a split decision against Joseph Benavides. I was in the building for that one, too. I thought Benavides won it live, but upon rewatching a few times, I realized, okay, I just had skewed perspective. He, he beat Benavides. He beat John Dodson and avoided the power of John Dodson for the most part. I don't know how much stock you can put in the Moraga fight because Moraga was one, the most undeserving title fight uh, challenger since Dan Hardy. I, I definitely overmatched. Yeah, I don't think that's debatable. Yeah. That was the worst thing they could have done for Moraga's career progression. Because if a year and a half from now he's ready for a title shot, he loses that again. That's two losses in title fights, and he's never getting a third. Right. Yeah, you know, and then he dominated Benavides. The 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 incline of the path his career is taking is, is you're not supposed to improve once you get to the mountaintop. It's improving is what gets you to the mountaintop, and then you're supposed to, you know, plateau and, and refine what you can do. He's young. He's what twenty? I want to say he's twenty-seven years old. Yeah, he's a, you know, he's a young guy. Yeah. Right. Someone wrote uh, in one of the roundtables. I don't remember who it was. It might have been Alvin. Said that he could see maybe Sergio Pettis in two years. Oh, I, first of all, Pettis is probably going to grow out of one twenty-five. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a stretch to. to yeah. Yeah. I mean, the stretch. the best I could come up with come up with was, well, Brad Pickett has beaten him at 135, and he's dropping down to 125, but Johnson's much better than he was then, and I can't argue that Pickett is better now than he was four years ago. No. You know, not at his age, not at 36 years old. Yeah. So I can't put any credence there other than the respectful tip of the cap for having beaten him a few years ago. The only other name is Dominic Cruz. Yeah. You know, if, if Cruz comes back and somehow beats Henan Burrell, first of all, that will lock in the 
best story of 2014 on my card, period. Yeah, it'd be unbelievable. Yeah, it would be. And then Cruz would fight Faber, and if Cruz wins that... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, I mean, sorry, Rafael Sunsouth. Let's do Dominic Cruz versus Demetrius Johnson, 130 pounds. You know, that's it. That's the only fight that I see out there right now of anybody who has more than, you know, puncher's chance. And puncher's chances against Demetrius Johnson are as small as they are against anyone else because it's so hard to hit the guy. Yeah, I see, I still want to see him, even though he may be that much better than everybody else, I still want to see him win some more title defenses at 125 before we start. Well, yeah, I mean, my calendar is a year and a half down the road, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because, you know... Dominic Cruz only fights once every 30 months. This is true. <laughs> Small sample size. I can't make that leap yet, can I? <laughs> Who says? <laughs> Good point. My show, my rules, I make them up. <laughs> we don't have Jamie here to, to quash me. So. That's right. So is there a worse position to be in in the UFC than being 99% of the way up the mountain like Joseph Benavides is, having lost twice now to the reigning champion. He can't move down to 115 because there is no 115-pound division for the men. And if he went up to 135 pounds, he's lost twice to Dominic Cruz, and Henan Barrow is going to have like 40 pounds on him if Barrow is the champion. I mean, uh, well, I, what does not... Joseph Benavides do other than just at this point fight for money and pride? I think that's it. You know, I think there's there's worse things you could do. You know, I mean, not everybody's going to be the champ, so you got to have those guys that are, you know, the second, third best guys in the division. You know, they're going to be the ones that. I mean, at least Ben Henderson was champion for a <clears throat> while before he got put into the position where he's 0-2 against the reigning champ. You yeah, know? it's true. At least I mean, he got that. Yeah, he did. But you know, them's the breaks, basically. <laughs> you know, it sucks. It sucks to be it. It sucks to be in that position, but. You know, it could be worse. You know, you've got guys like John Fitch who hung around forever and was never going to another title shot. It was never going to happen. And he just hung around in the top five of the division until he started losing. And he didn't have a following like the alpha male guys have. So, you know, I, I think they're at least in a better position from that standpoint. They've got a following and they've got people that want to see them fight. Um, you know, I don't think anyone is going to say no to a, uh, a, a fight between Benavides and John Dodson, you know. I mean, that's a, a, well, I might, because I think Dodson versus Demetrius Johnson is the next logical fight for both guys. Well, you know, it could be. You know, um, I mean, Josh Sampo, uh, you know, Oskilich, eh, you know, Zach Makovsky, maybe, but, you know, 
we we all know that former Bellator champions don't belong in the UFC. <laughs> well, not in their current weight class. If you drop down a weight class, oh, okay. You know, let's let's call a spade a spade here. Yeah, you do that. I do. Is that racist? I don't know. Because I mean, after you went off two weeks ago, I I, I I'm looking at you. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, Benavidez is screwed. I mean, they have to be really careful matchmaking him because they can't put him up against anybody that they think has title aspirations, but you don't want to just put him up against, you know, the Chris Cariasos of the world because, I mean, just, you need mid-level gatekeepers too, you know? I, I mean, it's really hard to figure out what to do, and I certainly wouldn't want to be Sean Shelby when the name Benavidez comes up on the roll about a month from now trying to figure out what to do with him next. Well, I, I think there's enough options. I mean, you've got guys... You He's know, gonna beat everybody he fights. Yeah, probably. Yeah, but you know, there's <laughs> there's worse things that could happen. You know, maybe you just you take you take him and you put him in fights against guys that have already lost to, to uh, Demetrius Johnson. You know, maybe you do the uh, the Johnson Dodson fight, and then the loser of that fight fights Benavidez. I mean, it'll probably be Dodson again. Um, so maybe you make that fight then. Maybe you do you know Lineker against Benavidez, making you know see if if the guy can't make weight, put him in a fight against Benavidez and see if he can beat Benavidez anyway, you know. That's a hell of a punishment for not making weight. Hey, that's the breaks. <laughs> I suppose. Uh moving into the bantamweight division uh and co-main event and, and this is the fight that really made uh made uh, a Sacramento crowd go crazy. Uriah Faber, the the pop for Faber when he walked in, you know. Uh, when his music started, was literally ten times the pop for Joseph Benavides, who was in a title fight. Ten times Chad Mendes, who you know fights for the same camp. It was, it wasn't as loud as Pettis and Milwaukee, I think, probably be, because combination of this was Pettis' first big fight in Milwaukee. There was a title on the line, and you know Faber had no has fought in Sacramento before. But it was bananas, you know, the whole time. The first round was pretty quiet, killed the crowd off a little. But that finishing sequence that he put late on Michael McDonald, uh, you know, when he knocked him down, and, and McDonald would still be retreating if he didn't crash full-on <laughs> 100 miles an hour into the cage. You know, it, there's nobody. First of all, I think Faber might be, I'm not saying is, might be the best finisher in the sport. He is definitely. I don't think there's any question. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. He might. He's also the smartest finisher in the sport because, like Joe Lozon, every time he should have went for for submission, he went for the ground and pound. Every time he was should have went to pound out a little bit further or soften him up, that's when he was going for the subs. Faber always knows whether he needs to go for the ground and pound when he's on top or whether it's time to look for the submission. He never misses. Yeah. He's an absolute killer. And the combination of, of the tan and the hair and the smile and the butt chin. <laughs> put that all together, and, and I honestly think he's underestimated by his opponents, which sounds absolutely asinine because fighters, you know, shouldn't be underrating a guy like Uriah Faber. What he did on Saturday night cements in my place. You know, I don't care how many times he's lost title fights. He is clearly the most worthy bantamweight in the world. Sorry, Rafael Asuncao. It was very funny. Asuncao, as soon as it, I don't know if you saw it on Twitter, Rafael Asuncao immediately after Faber's win goes, that was an impressive win, and I certainly hope that after I, that I, after I get my shot at the title that you can slide in behind me. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but yeah, Rafael, uh, you're going to have to wait because yeah. Uriah Faber's getting the next shot. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, None. 
it's your eye favor being the best finisher and the smartest finisher go go hand in hand. I think that's absolutely accurate. There's there's no one. Of course it is. Yeah, there's no one in the sport that that knows how to finish like your eye favor does. Um, and he does it time after time to the best fighters in the sport. He does it to he, he wrecks everybody outside of the champion. You know, yeah. it, and nobody does that. I had him. Your eye favor. The second time we fought Dominic Cruz, I'm the only guy that I know that had favor winning that fight. I thought he won at 48-47. I must have given more credence to the knockdowns uh, and, and the takedowns than everybody else did. I thought it was razor thin. I had no problem with it, but I think he can beat, you know, Dominic Cruz. I don't know if he can beat Hunter Brown. But, I mean, Yuri Alcantara is elevated by yeah. comparison because in Boston he got dominated and made it to the final bell, you know? Exactly, yeah. But look, look I mean... The, in the UFC, we'll, we'll just go with UFC fights. Uh, you know, Eddie Wineland was a decision, but he's, you know, Wineland's a tough son of a bitch. Brian Bowles, that, that, was, one, that was the most, I think, dominant fight of Uriah Faber's career. But then Ivan Menjar got on his back and, and choked him out. That was pretty damn good. Scott Jorgensen, in a fight where he really didn't want to pour it on, still chokes him out. And then Michael McDonald with what he did on Saturday night. I mean, those are great finishes and then yeah. that's ignoring the Mizugaki finish back at you know at WEC 52 yep. Yep. and that that one was the one where Mizugaki was out cold on top of favor and favor immediately had to turn it off because you know you don't want to do any damage to the guy once the fight was over yeah you know Rafael yeah, or Rafael Sunset wants a shot well when he fought favor he wound up getting choked out too you know yeah. yep and let's not forget I mean Michael McDonald he made Michael McDonald look like a child in there and Michael McDonald is a beast. Michael this McDonald's is... <laughs> back made him look like a child in there. Yeah, that is true. But, you know, that's just, that's just life. But uh, <laughs> Michael yeah, McDonald, that's what it is. <laughs> Michael McDonald is, you know, I've got him probably number three uh, in, the, in the division. And that's one down from your eye of favor. And that's how, that's how much better favor looked than Michael McDonald. Wait, if you have rankings in your head, then you need to start mailing them in to me. <laughs> I only had the top three. Uh-huh. Well, then you can expand from there. I mean, it goes, it should go without saying, but it, you just really have to realize that the guys that have beaten Uriah Favor are Tyson Griffin eight years ago. In light, at the lightweight division. Yeah, right, exactly. Mike Brown twice when Brown was in the zone. Yeah. You know, it didn't help that Favor, you know, broke made one stupid hands. move in the first fight and broke both of his hands in the second fight and yeah. went to decision, Brian yeah. Bowles. Uh, Jose Aldo, you know, in, in just an impressive display of, of heart from Faber to not quit. So he loses to Mike Brown with two broken hands and goes to decision. He eats 276 leg kicks per minute against Jose Aldo and goes to decision. Yeah. Loses to Dominic Cruz in a razor-thin decision, which, again, I thought he won. Um, and then Henan Brow, and that's the thing. I think Henan Brow's too big for him. That is that does make it tough. Um, you know, you you have to wonder if uh, if we're going to see. You know, <clears throat> what, what I think would be interesting is if we do end up seeing Jose Aldo move up to lightweight uh-huh. um, and Henan Barrow move up to featherweight. I, I think that neither of those things are are inconceivable. Barrow moves up to to featherweight two seconds after Jose Aldo does because they're both on the record repeatedly saying that they're both having a hard time making weight and they yeah. fight each other. So yeah. Barrow's going to move up as soon as Aldo moves up, whenever that might be. Yeah. And if Aldo beats beats uh, um, Ricardo Lamas, you really think he gives half a flying knee or half a double flying <laughs> knee about fighting Cub Swanson again? What is there to prove for Jose Aldo? 
how is he going to top knocking him out in five seconds? Yeah, that, that's truly, I mean, outside of another fight with Chad Mendez, um, that's truly... Uh, and again, I mean, same deal. There's nothing for him to gain there right, either. Right, you know, exactly. That, that, and that's, that's the whole thing. Is like Chad Mendez has got a pretty good shot at beating Jose Aldo, but what incentive does he have to take that fight rather than move yeah, up to 155? Aldo has nothing in there to take other than shut people up, people that he probably wouldn't even be listening to. Exactly. But, I mean, Aldo, let's go in order uh, from, you know... Off the top of my head, he holds a win over Mendez. He holds a win over Edgar. He holds a huge win over Cub Swanson. He's fighting Ricardo Lamas. Uh, he he beat up Korean Zombie in a fight that might have been tough. I mean, anybody think Darren Elkins is going to give him a challenge? I mean, Darren Elkins is going to struggle with Jeremy Stevens. Anyone think Clay Guida is going to give Jose Aldo a challenge? You know, Nick Lentz was you know soundly beaten by. 80% of Chad Mendez. Yeah. You know, Dennis Seaver, anyone think Dennis Seaver is going to give Jose Aldo anything? You know, you, yeah. the next legitimate name might be Kawajiri, you know? But yeah. this ain't 2006. Right, exactly. There's nothing left for him at featherweight. And I can't, I would not agree with him staying at featherweight, assuming he gets through Ricardo Lamas as, as easily as it seems like he will. Yeah, I, I think I give uh, Lamas a little more credit than that. I, I think Lamas is a tough dude, and I think he's yeah, going to give him. Yeah, I give him a one in five chance. Yeah, I, 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 he is going to give him. I think he's going to give him a little bit of a problem. I, I don't think he's going to beat him. Um, so we're probably on the same page there. But yeah. you know, and, and like you Harris. said, yeah, like You're you just said, trying to be a contrarian. You know, I got to do what I got to do. Yeah, um, from Philly, I get it. <laughs> these, uh, you know, got any snowballs with rocks? You want to throw at Santa Claus before you continue? No, not not at the moment. Okay. Um, I, I think uh, I think he does win that fight, and you know it's like you said, I, it only makes sense for him to move up. If if we're talking about cleaning out a division, this is truly this is probably the most thorough division clean out that we've seen. You know, yeah. George St. Pierre cleaned out his division, but then he kept on getting people coming up, uh, coming up the ranks. Had Ben uh, Henderson beaten Anthony Pettis in Milwaukee, that would be right up there too. Yeah, sure. But he didn't do it. But he did. So. Right, exactly. And, and Hennon Burrell and or Dominic Cruz are coming pretty close. Yeah. And you can't count Cain Velasquez because the division is so thin, you know? You beat Joe Santos and you pretty much clean out the division. Yeah, exactly. He might have cleaned out 218% of the division, but there's only two guys in the division. So what, yeah. is, what does that really tell you? Yeah. I, I mean, you would like to think, or not like to think, whatever, that Josh Barnett could be the guy, but then you look back at what Josh started. Barnett had for the poor man's version of Kane Velasquez. You go, yeah, I guess not. Yeah. So Michael McDonald really needs to learn to do something other than box. Agree? Yeah, he needs to learn how to do it better. Yes, but he's he needs got... to diversify his offense. I don't think he threw one yeah. kick that entire fight. And his transitions, you know, once someone gets in on him, need a lot of improvement. He's got fantastic hands, but I'm. You know, obviously, you know, the fights that come to mind right now are Barrow in favor, and that's not exactly a fair measuring stick. Yeah. But that is the measuring stick. If he wants to be the best in the world at 135 pounds, he sees what the best in the world at 135 do. He doesn't do those things. He boxes and struggles in transitions. Well, I think, I think it's a double-edged sword for Michael McDonald to be where he is at this point in his career because he's 21 years old, you know, and he hasn't fought – he didn't fight 10 guys to get a title shot. You know, he he pretty much shot up the ladder because of the state of the of the, of the division. He's you know? twenty two. Whatever. He'll be twenty three in four weeks. It's the same freaking thing. That's He's like ten percent off. Would you like it if someone took ten or added ten percent to your age? I don't care. Yeah. He's a, <laughs> he's a young guy. You got four kids. You're thirty one, going on sixty two. I'm thirty four. 
So I was being nice. I took ten percent <laughs> off your age. So, I mean, anyway, you know, the point is, There's he didn't point. have he didn't have you know a whole ton of fights to to develop his style and to improve each fight in order to you know before he got to the top, he has been uh, you know he's been fighting the best uh, for these last two fights, the best two well you know bantamweights in the world. Um, Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. At a point where he's probably not ready for him yet. Yeah. Uh, so when you, when you look at the wins that he has, I mean, the Brad Pickett fight was great, but Pickett's a Bantamweight right now. Yeah. Like the Miguel Torres fight, but it wasn't Miguel Torres from 2007. It was exactly. Miguel Torres from 2012. And then looking backwards at the names, Alex Soto, not in, not in the UFC. Chris Carriasso, Ban- or uh, featherweight now, Edwin Figueroa. I can't remember if he's in the UFC or not, but he didn't finish that fight. You know, uh, and then his one WEC fight was Clint Godfrey, and I don't remember who Clint Godfrey is. So yeah. it's not like Michael McDonald ha- has gotten to where he is based on the quality of the resume. He's gotten there in part from from you know in college football how they took out the slaughter you know, from, from the BCS rankings, so, you yep. know, margin of victory, you know. Yep, He's gotten where he is from margin of victory Absolutely. because he dominated Soto and he dominated Torres and he dominated Pickett. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, that's nice, but he needs to string. If I'm, if I'm Sean Selby, I'm going to his management team and says, just so you know, this isn't disrespect. You're not getting a title shot until 2016, and we're going to start you back at the bottom and maybe even let you rematch with, with Alex Soto, you know, and, and yeah. bring you along the way you should have been brought along the first time, you know, and if nothing else, you're a ringer in case we need a last-minute replacement in, in some form of title shot. And then build him up properly. He had, his, yeah. he had his moments, but if he's constantly going up against guys who have more diverse skill sets than he has – you know that might be more harm than good, and that doesn't do anybody any good. No, I, I agree completely. I, I think that you do. I, I think that's and doing anything else would be a disservice to his uh, to his career. You know, right? The, the bantamweight division is not, you know, it's got enough guys in there now to where you can give Mike McDonald some some uh, some quality opponents mm-hmm. um, that he that he can beat. Right. Um, so you know, there's no reason not to do that. No, absolutely. And, I mean, a few guys that come to mind are, you know, I mean, Yuri Alcantara, you know, maybe, yep. maybe not. You know, I, I mean, at that level, a guy, Mitch Gagnon is the guy yep. off the top of my head. You know, hell, even drop him down further and let him fight Bruce Leroy, you know? Yeah, like, him, they don't you know, have title aspirations for him. Sure. Edwin you know, Figueroa, Johnny Eduardo. Yeah, maybe a year from now, you, or two years from now, you have a uh, number one contender fight between him and Eric Perez. You know, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of names 
in the you know twenty to forty in the world area that he could fight that he can look good against and be slowly built up. You know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. You know, if George Roop weren't on his way out of the company, you know, yeah. that would be another one too. Johnny Bedford. You know? Right. Let him have some slaughters. Yeah. Um, Chad Mendez uh, over Nick Lentz in the what was the second fight uh, on the Fox portion of the card. Um, I didn't hear the commentary from, from Jim Miller because I was, you know, obviously in the building, you know, watching him from a non-Rogan uh, point of view. But from what I've heard, uh, Rogan, or Rogan was, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, wrong here, running down Mendez a little bit and saying that he doesn't look good, you know, doesn't look good. Well, A, you put him in against Nick Lentz, and it's really hard to look good against Nick Lentz. And B, if he was as sick as he says he was, and he essentially fought, you know, with a bad sinus infection, feeling like crap at 70% strength. He, I don't know what the hell Jamie was watching when, when he thought that that was a draw, you know, because he had a 10-9 in there for Lentz and a 10-10. I don't know what the, what the hell that was because I thought Chad Mendes won every second of that fight. Yeah, Jamie was watching his friend. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're both from Minnesota, yeah. which is funny because Nick Lentz has left Minnesota for Florida, and Jamie's from Wisconsin. He doesn't want people to know this. He's from here. He can yeah. swathe himself in as much purple as he wants to. He's one of us. No, I, I think um, there is something to uh, to what you said about Rogan's commentary, but I I don't think he I think in retrospect I, I don't think he was running him down so much as he was saying this is not the Chad Mendes that we've seen in the last few fights, yeah. which is fair. You know, after that first round, he was obviously a little more blown up than he usually is. But so, if he really uh, was that sick, it's damn impressive to beat Nick Lentz that handily. Absolutely. You know, 80%. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I, I don't know if um, – I, I don't know. I, I, memory doesn't serve whether uh, whether Rogan actually mentioned that during the broadcast or not. I'm, I'm not sure if that was common knowledge or not at that point. I can't remember. No, it wasn't really. But uh, came out after the fact, dated yeah. it or something. Yeah. So, you know, for what we were seeing, I, I thought his commentary was pretty accurate. You know, I, I, I don't think he was uh, he was too brutal on the guy. Fair enough. Uh, assuming Jose Aldo stays, or if Jose Aldo leaves and Henan Burrell comes up for a title shot, you put Chad Mendez at the top of the line at this point behind Ricardo Lamas, or does he need to keep fighting? Oh, no question. I've got Chad Mendez at the top. Fair enough. Uh, and Nick Lentz is what he is, high-level gatekeeper. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, good way to make a hard living. Yep. Um, and then in the opening fight on Fox, a really disappointing fight from a quality standpoint. Uh, Mac Danzig and Joe Lozon are known for putting on exciting fights, Lozon especially. Um, I'm not a Danzig guy. I think he's way too, you know, he has great accuracy with his striking, but absolutely no power whatsoever. And every time he would land three or four in a row, Joe Lozon would just walk right through them and, and yeah. grab Danzig, do what he wanted. It, it was a fight that was very underwhelming, and, and that was the fight that had me turning to people around me and say, this is why we missed the Carlos Condit fight so bad. Because obviously that fight was only on TV, or on Fox, excuse me, because Carlos Condit versus Matt Brown got pulled. So I, I, were, were you surprised that Lozon was, he almost seemed listless. I mean, that might be overstating it, but he looked old. And, and he's not even 30, he's 29 years old. He looked old against Mac Danzig, I thought. Yeah, I, I thought going into the fight that we might see a better Lozon. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's hard to say that it was really surprising given how he's looked in his last couple of fights. Um, you know, he hasn't looked great. Uh, you know, he's got a lot of mileage um, for a 29-year-old guy. Um, so, 
you know, it's hard to say that it was really that surprising. It's disappointing, and uh, you know, you hope that um, he's not on the <clears throat> on the downside of his career already. But he's you know, seven and six in his last thirteen fights yeah. uh, since losing to Kenny Florian back in '08. Um, you know, the best win that he's had since then, I, I guess you'd say, was either. You know, Jamie Varner or Melvin Gillard, no world beaters there. And, I mean, and he has a couple bad losses, you know, in there, too. I mean, no shame in losing to Kenny Florian or Sam Stout or George Sotteropoulos, but you start to get an idea of the level of the guy. You know, I mean, obviously no shame in getting, you know, head kicked out of out of Tokyo by Anthony Pettis. Yeah. You know, the, the Jim Miller fight was great, but the Michael Johnson fight, that was one that, that set off a lot of alarm bells. And, I mean, I've, you know, heard off-the-record stuff from people in Boston said that, you know, they wouldn't have been surprised if Lozon just packed it in at that point. He's got a ton of money from fighting. He's got his gym, his health, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, my, I'm not saying it's time. I'm not saying that, but I, you know, if he fights someone like Bobby Green, you know, I mean, that's a good night for Bobby Green. Yeah. Yeah. At and, this point, I mean, you, I, I never would have said that before the James Krause fight, honestly, <clears throat> but after he looked, I mean, you know, and it's hard to take much from the Krauss fight, honestly. But yeah. after how he looked against uh, against Pat Healy, that was pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was hard for me to tell from from exactly where I was. Um, on we'll skip into the prelim cards uh, on that fight with Bobby Green and Pat Healy. So I mean, I had a different angle and different perspective on it. And every now and then, when you're live, you know, in, in the building like that, you totally miss something. I actually thought Healy looked good until I rewatched the fight and realized, okay, yeah, Bobby Green won that fight. So, <laughs> yeah, it um, was pretty pretty one-sided. Yeah, the fight of the night was on the Fox Sports 1 portion, and I'm glad that they got it right and didn't go out and give it to Uriah a favor. Uh, fight of the night went to Edson Barboza uh, in his contentious victory over Danny Castillo. Uh, Danny Castillo went out and proved that dominating round and, and – you can't count on 10-8s from anybody anymore. Uh, Danny Castillo 10-8ed, as a verb, 10-8ed Edson Bar- uh, Barboza in the first round, but only got one ten- judge to give him the 10-8. Barboza went out and won the next two rounds, and I've seen people argue that the second round should be 10-8. I actually saw someone say that, I think it was Meltzer, who actually said that the third round should have been a 10-8. Um, I disagree with both of those. I thought it was a 28-28 draw, and I expected to see a majority draw, because I thought at least two of the judges would have been, you know, capable of realizing that that first round was 10-8. Nope. And Barboza walks out with a win. Now, now controversy aside, Castillo looked fantastic in the first round, but he was yeah. so desperate to finish the fight, he blew his arms out. And Barboza, look, other with the exception of the Varner fight, two things uh, on Barboza. One, he's a tough son of a bitch. Yeah. I, I don't think you can argue that anymore. And two, the book on him has been written. Get inside and get dirty with him. Yeah, and, and that's that's actually what I thought was going to happen in this fight. I thought Castillo was going to win um, the way that it looked like he was going to in that first round. I thought he was going to get inside and pummel him and uh, and break him. And Barboza just didn't break. And no. that was that was what was really impressive there. Now, uh, to speak to the score, um, if I'm scoring the fight, I would say, you know, a draw would be maybe scored correctly, even though I could argue a 10-8 for the second round given the the amount of offense that Danny Castillo had. Even though he wasn't in danger of being finished, he had no offense in that round. Um, now, you can argue that, that a draw was the correct score, but would you say that that fight was a draw? No, but, but 
we only talk about the scoring system that we actually haven't played. Yeah, no, it's true. If you want to get into a pride rules, you know, where you just, you know, must or you know must win, yeah, I'm raising Barboza's card. Yeah. I, I almost wonder, you know, I, I go back and forth. You on almost it. wonder either you do or you don't. I <laughs> I almost wonder if the pride if the pride system wouldn't be better. Um, yeah, yeah, but the way judges are right now, I mean, you see so many pictures of boxing judges with their nose and cell phones or their you know head turned off for the action, you know, yeah. or, or one of the fights. Uh, I wish I remember what boxing fight it was a month ago, where where someone took a knockout and you could just see this person's head whip or, or knock down, excuse me, and you could see this person ringside, uh, his head whipped around, and that I didn't realize it at the time until afterwards. That was one of the judges. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to, you know. They're, what they're going to do, if you go to the pride system, it's going to literally, it's going to be whoever wins the last two minutes of the fight is going right. to, you know, and, and you can't count on that. And that's, yeah, that's the danger of it, you know. So it's, it's hard to say what, what, the, what the right thing is. I guess, I guess it comes down to what we always say. Is, it's getting the right people doing the judges. Educating the judges yeah. and, and clarifying, you know, the, yeah. the, so that the rules that are on on the book, you know, are actually interpreted. You don't need 10 uh, right. half point, you know, you don't need a half point scoring system because all yeah. it does is, you know, gives many more tiers to screw up and you're yes. going to see a lot of 10, 9.5s, you know? Exactly, exactly. You know, what you need to do is, one, mandate more 10.8s, more, uh, more, maybe even more 10.7s. Now, obviously, if you start throwing 10.8s out, out there, you're going to see more draws, but there are a lot of fights where draws a fair score. Yeah. You know, I, like the Castillo fight, like the Mark Hunt fight. That, now, nobody would have been happy if the Castillo fight turned out to be a draw right. because I think most observers, you know, even those in Sacramento, realize, okay, Barbosa is a better fighter. He won that fight. Castillo had his chance. He didn't capitalize. Yeah. But, you know, the Hunt fight, that was a draw. That was a satisfying draw. That was a, I'm glad nobody lost that fight because both men should be elevated afterwards. Yeah, but I, I think, though, that those fights are not the norm. You know, when you sure. find when you start throwing out a lot more ten eights, you know you're going to end up with more draws, like you said, and and I think I don't think that's good. I mean, I don't. I I think it, it may be more accurate, maybe, um, but again, you know, it's so subjective. At some point, you know, what? How do you quantify it? I mean, I I don't know. You know, it, it's it seems to be that if you almost finish a fight, then that's a ten eight. But then, unless you almost get finished yourself too, right? Which at, happens at point, quite a bit. And at that point, what do you, then what do you do? You know, is that is that then a ten nine for the guy that that you figure won the round, or is it a ten ten because they both almost got finished? I mean, what you know, what's the criteria there? Yeah, no, I understand. It needs to be clarified. And comments. I mean, you can put as many rules on the books as you want, but some somewhere in there, you know, intangible common sense need, needs to take place. Yeah. Instead of what we have right now is intangible lack of common sense. Right. Fair enough. Also on the uh, on the Fox Sports one, we're just going to run through here. I do have one question for you before I run through all the fights. Actually, brighter futures at, at flyweight Zach Mikoski or Altek and Oskilich? Uh I didn't see the Oskilich fight, um, but Mikoski well, go, was good. Yeah. Mikovsky by default. There's yeah. this thing called the internet. I suggest you check into it. What are you talking about? You could you could have watched the fight on said internet machine. So you're saying this box that's in my house? Mm-hmm. I can, like, that shows videos? Yes. You know, huh. the Facebook thing that you're on, you know, asking for Chipotle recipe tips and showing your, you know, you bearded and unbearded. You can use that very service to watch people like Alptek and Ozkilich and Darren Uyanayama fight each other. You're going way over my head right now. I know. 
Anyways, uh, McCaskey looked really good against Scott Jorgensen. Scott Jorgensen's in limbo. He, he's essentially right now the poor man's Joseph Benavides because he's a gatekeeper in two different divisions as opposed to a former contender in two div- uh, different divisions. Abel Trujillo uh, almost won knockout of the night until Demetrius Johnson came in um, in a fight that was a, a repeat of his fight against Roger Bowling. Yeah, that was a dominant victory. Um, Bobby Green over Pat Healy in a tedious affair. Ryan LaFair, uh, LaFlair, excuse me, defeated Court McGee in the main event of the preliminary card. I love saying it like that. Um, LaFlair might have a nice little future as a... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Top twenty twenty five guy, you know? Yeah, if, if he could be anything other than completely forgettable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Port McGee. Right. <laughs> I, you know, because he's, he's obviously a solid fighter. Um, yes, he is. But uh, he just leaves no lasting impression. Absolutely. No, I, I 100% agree. I mean, so much of what, so much of what happened on the card, you know, from a, from a fight standpoint was totally and completely forgettable stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there were the moments, you know, the top two, you know, the, tr- the, the three fights that went to finish, you know, were great. The Castillo uh, versus Barboza fight was great. And that was it. I mean, it, it was a, it turned out to be a card that was less than the sum of its parts. And, and, I mean, no card can afford to lose, you know. I mean, Gastelum would have destroyed what we saw at a court McGee tonight. We lost yeah. that. Uh, there were other fights that were lost. There's the Pettis fight versus Josh Thompson, which would have ended even more violently uh, than what Demetrius Johnson versus Joseph Benavides was. Losing Carlos Connor versus Matt Brown was a gut punch because it came so late. I mean, yeah. I was at the point there where I was saying, uh, where I was saying, that. Sorry, I just lost my train of thought because news is just breaking that Bigfoot Silva failed his uh, UFC Fight Night 33 drug, drug test. Oh, snap. He had an exemption for TRT and he tested way over the allowed limit. Wait a minute. Did, yep. I, know, did I know that Bigfoot Silva had a TRT exemption? Did you? I don't think I did because if I did... You might have mentioned it? I might have mentioned it and that <laughs> is the most insane thing that I've ever heard. <laughs> Have you seen this guy? Uh, yes, Easter Island. I, I, I've yes. seen him in Easter Island. You've seen him hewn out of stone and in human form. Right. How in the world does this guy have a TRT exam? Of all the substances he's lacking on, testosterone is probably last on the list. Yeah, you ain't kidding. Mm. That and whatever the thyroid produces. <laughs> Billy Ribbon. Wait, yes. that's the liver. That's the liver. <laughs> Close, though. I wouldn't. He, he's probably got a really big liver, though. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. 
So anyways, even though he forfeits his 50,000 fight uh, bonus for fight of the night, and he's out for nine months. So remember when Dana White last week, last week excuse me, saying that, yeah, we aren't going to be doing Hunt versus Bigfoot next because Hunt's going to be a while for, for the hand? Guess yeah. what fight's happening in nine months? <laughs> right. Sorry, nine months in one day. My bad. <laughs> so I want to talk for a while um, about George St. Pierre. Yes. Um, when I was at the airport on Friday um, afternoon in, in Milwaukee, that's when, or actually by that point I was in Minneapolis, but that's when the press conference happened that George St. Pierre announced that he's walking away from the sport, not necessarily forever, but for the sake of this conversation, we're going to treat it like a permanent retirement because I don't want people to gloss over his career and say, ah, he'll be back. So, you know, just put him on the back burner and whenever he's back, he's back. We don't know that he's back. And to to give the man his props, you have to treat it like a full-on retirement, no different than when Michael Jordan went away uh, after the 1993 NBA season. You know, he said he retired and he went and played baseball. He got his full props. And if he gets his full props again after the 98 season when he retired for real, oh, or after the 2002 season in Washington when he retired for real, fine. If we have to give three testimonials to the greatness of George St. Pierre and what he's done, then that's exactly what we're going to do. George St. Pierre dropped... uh, should have dropped his title against Shawnee Hendricks, and he didn't. And I think that's the only reason that this took a month for him to have the press conference in Quebec City that he had on Friday, because I think if he would have won it handily, he would have announced not a retirement, but the leave from the sport within a week. But I really think that played on it, maybe not on his conscience, but his sense of right and wrong, which I suppose are very synonymous, and I'm splitting hairs here. Or at least a sense of competitiveness. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, that, you know, it's not the right way to go out. And I think Johnny Hendricks, for the first time in his career, handled it right by saying, I don't care about George St. Pierre. I want the belt, you know. And, and Johnny Hendricks, is, uh, since George St. Pierre ha- has abdicated his throne, Johnny Hendricks is going to be fighting against somebody who was 4-3 in his last fight, uh, last seven fights, including the loss to Lorenz Larkin. So Johnny Hendricks is going to be the champion of the world in three months minus one day from right now. A uh, little cynical there, I realize, but Johnny, Robbie Lawler's getting a shot over Carlos Condit because Robbie Lawler's one of Dana's guys, and Carlos Condit isn't. Well, he's four and three in his last seven fights, but he's also three and zero in his last three. Oh, good for his last three. And he and he and he beat, uh, you know, the uh, supposed heir to the throne in his last fight. So you know, I'm good with this fight. I'm fine with it. Okay, believe, so you're better with it than I am because I, I'm not against it. I'm just could make a much stronger argument for Carlos Condit. Well, you could, but Hendricks already beat Condit. I would disagree with that, first on the, of all. On the cards. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. But my point is, it was a great fight. It might be the fight of the year of 2013. And I don't think anybody outside of the state of Oklahoma and the city of Dallas thinks that Carlos Condit is losing, was going to lose had that fight been the five-rounder like it should have been, you know? That's, yeah, so, that's fair enough. There's, and that is the fight people wanted to make. There was nobody campaigning, hey, let's give it to Lawler, you know, other than, you know, Pat Militich. There was nobody, you know, really, really, really hankering for this fight. I believe somehow, I, 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 although I believe I did call it in the last, in the last podcast. Well, why didn't, well, I didn't hear the last podcast. So I, was, I wasn't here. I wasn't on it, so no one else listened either. No, I think it was the last one that you were on. Or maybe it was the last one after 167. When uh, when we talked about whether St. Pierre was really leaving or not. I'm trying to be polite enough to say I don't listen when you talk, Sean. 
You want to make me say it, then just make me say it. Fine. I have to make you say it. You know. Fine. I'll, you want to drag me down to your level and drag me through the mud? Fine. This is what I do. You're ornery since last night. You know that? <laughs> why, would I, why would I ever be like that? I have no idea because it's not 8.15 Central Time yet. <laughs> That's true. Must not be time to talk about my mood. No, 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 not at all. I, I, I might even have some production for this, too. Anyways, we're, we, we're burying the lead here. Somehow we got off on a tangent talking about Johnny Hendricks versus Robbie Lawler when what we need to be focusing on is the, over, the somehow overlooked greatness of George St. Pierre. Um, I, I put about 1,300 words on the site today, which is something I don't usually do. Uh, just people wants to forget how great George St. Pierre is because he, his last seven fights against seven very good fighters went decision, 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 borderline robbery, split decision. You know, but, but those seven fights in a row at a run that started when he was 27 years old. One, he co-headlined the biggest pay-per-view in company history um, and didn't lose one round on one card against Tiago Alves, who everybody thought was worthy of, of that shot. At UFC 111 against Dan Hardy, okay, Hardy wasn't worthy of the shot. He won every round, including a 50-43 and a 50-44. Um, the fact that Dan Hardy didn't tap wasn't on George St. Pierre. It was on Dan Hardy being a tough son of a bitch. At UFC 124, he destroyed Josh Koscheck's face. And how the how that was only 50-45 on three cards, I'll never know. Because Josh Koscheck didn't win one second of that fight. UFC 129, he single-handedly sold out the Rogers Center twice. They sold 40,000 tickets the first day. A day later, they opened up 13,000 more tickets that they weren't planning on opening up, and those sold out in an hour. You think people were buying those tickets because Mark Hominick and Jake Shields were in the co-main main event? No. And the only reason he lost on or lost any rounds to Shields was because of the eye poke of doom that Shields pulled out in the third round. Then he blows out his knee, comes back, and beats Carlos Condit, who of the last seven fights of his career, other than maybe Johnny Hendricks, was the best fighter he was going to fight. And he won every round of every card except for 149-46. UFC 158, he embarrassed Nick Diaz. Well, no, you can't say embarrassed Nick Diaz because it's really hard to be embarrassed when you have no sense of of, of your surroundings like Nick Diaz. So, you know. No, yeah, no self-awareness. No, that's the phrase. Thank you. Yeah. I use the phrase self-awareness every day, and I missed it there. I was, <laughs> you know, and then, and then the split. So, I mean, that's six dominant victories and an admittedly unjust split. And people want to forget what he did leading into that. I, I, I mean, the four-fight stretch that he had, um, you know, culminating with the second BJ Penn win, uh, when you go Matt Hughes 3, Matt Sarah 2, John Fitch, BJ Penn, winning by corner stoppage. All right, that's the best four-fight stretch anybody has ever had in this sport. That's my yeah. case. Go. No, I mean, I have, I have no argument. I mean, George St. Pierre, nobody... Nobody has a resume like George St. Pierre. Correct. Right? Especially as a welterweight. I mean, you can argue that uh, the Anderson Silva was more dominant as, as a middleweight, and that's probably true. Mm-hmm. But uh, welterweight... But he had is, fights off. He, he got James Irvins and Forrest Griffins in there and Stefan Bonner's in there. Yeah, but you can also argue that he was fighting in two divisions. But, that, I mean, that's that's beside the point, though. It, I just happened to list the guys that were all at that division. I could have thrown, you know, 
Damian Maya and Talis ladies out there too. Yeah, that's true. But at the right. same time, you know, that, that's and that's where I was going with this next point is that the welterweight oh. division has always been deeper than middleweight. Yes. And and he has dominated it for years. You know, really, even before um, the first Matt Hughes loss, you know, he was beating everybody before that. He beat everybody between when he fought Matt Hughes the first and second time. He beat everybody, you know, after he after he lost to Matt Sarah in, in that shocking upset that we referenced earlier. <laughs> you know, he he he's beaten everybody, everybody, everybody. Every, yeah, everybody that's come up through everybody. the ranks. Everybody. Everybody that's come up through the ranks that you say maybe this is the next guy. Not GSP, just everybody, but everyone. Yeah, everybody, everyone, every person. He's beaten them all, and that's you can't overstate how great George St. Pierre is. That's right. And, and, I mean, some of the records the guy holds. uh, He's got 19 wins in the octagon. Um, If Anderson Silva is the next closest active fighter, do you really think Anderson Silva is going to be winning, you know, four more fights in the octagon? That's maybe a 50-50 proposition, you know, because, because he's 38 going on 39. He might lose to Chris Weidman in a week and a half from now. I mean, that's, that's a very possible outcome. Josh Koscheck, you think he has five more wins in the octagon? Don't think nope. so. Rashad Evans maybe could win six more to surpass George St. Pierre. And that's assuming George St. Pierre is done. Uh, that same number would, would apply to Frank Mir? No, he's not winning six more. Michael Bisping? Maybe. But I, even if Michael Bisping has 20 wins and, and gets to 20 wins and George St. Pierre stays at 19... That's not a, a legitimate argument as to the best of all time. George St. Pierre has more successful title defenses than all but 23 people have wins in the UFC yeah, with 12. He, and, and, he's won 12 title, 12 title fights. Yeah, and let's not forget, George St. Pierre is 32. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's walking away for a little while. But, you know, say he stays gone for two years and comes back. He's still 34 mm-hmm. with some tread on the tire left. It's not like he's taken to horrendous beatings. And probably a rejuvenated 34 Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, and it's not like he's taken a bunch of beatings either. You know, he, he has won the vast, vast majority of the rounds that he has been in. He hasn't taken a lot of, uh, you know, hasn't taken a lot of damage, you, you know, despite what his face looks like after his fights. It just yeah. marks up a lot. Yeah. You know, uh, George St. Pierre, there's no argument. There's no argument that he is top two pound for pound ever. Absolutely agreed. I mean, you can't. He has been the best welterweight of all time since for years since he beat Matt Hughes the second time in their third fight. So if he would have retired six years ago, he would be the best welterweight of all time. Since then, he's beaten Matt Sarah, John Fitch, B.J. Penn. Oh, I said that out loud. Tiago (laughs) Alves, Dan Hardy, Josh Koscheck again. Jake Shields, Carlos Condit, Nick Diaz, Johnny Hendricks. That is since he ended the argument as to who the best welterweight in the world ever was. Yeah. And, and people want to hold against him that he didn't finish really tough fighters like Tiago Alves and, and Jake Shields and Carlos Condit and Nick Diaz. Who finishes those guys, you know? Yeah, nobody. Right, thank you. You know, I, I mean... He, he made BJ Penn's acolytes throw in the towel on him at UFC 94. Yep. I mean, that was, that was one of the five biggest, and that's the other thing. That was one of the five biggest selling pay-per-views of all time still to this date, and that was four, almost five years ago. You know, it, it irritates me when I see, and, and I'm not the oldest of, or the most longest tenured 
mixed martial art fan. I mean, we've pulled our origin stories a little bit here. You know, I've been around since about the time uh, he beat BJ Penn the first time. This is, you know, end of 2005. That was in, I want to say, the spring of 2006, okay? So I go back to not the Dark Ages, but a pretty long time. But I see the people who who came in because of Brock Lesnar or who came in after Brock Lesnar, who just George St. Pierre Lamprey, you know? Yeah. Seriously, they make me want to train just so I can get in the first fight that I've been in in 25 years, just so I can kick their asses. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah. there's not one bad thing you can say about him as a fighter or as a representative of the sport. Period, and I will brook no debate about this. Well, and that's the whole thing. If you if you're talking about greatest pound for pound fighters ever, he's top two. If you're talking about greatest UFC asset ever, there's no question. Right, it's not even close. Well, I shouldn't say Brock Lesnar was a pretty big asset, but uh, an asset for a longer time. Better to burn out than to fade away. No, yeah. I don't think. Yeah, you know the the, the consistent. Uh, a consistent draw, a consistent personality, a consistent great fighter. No one even touches GSP. That's right. And, and I, I just won't take any dissent on it. And I'm not even a George St. Pierre guy. You know, I mean, obviously I have more respect for him than for pretty much anybody else. But, I mean, he's not, you know, someone that I feel, a, you know, a, from a sports fan perspective, a personal connection with. You know, when I was a kid growing up, it was the Molitor jersey. You know, Paul Molitor, you know, in Milwaukee, even though I, or Ryan Sandberg. I mean, or, you know. I don't have that with St. Pierre. I'm just strictly his resume, strictly on the way he carries himself. It it does not get any better than that. And thank God Dana White turned around at least a little bit and has been saying the right things for the last week by saying he did it the right way. I don't know exactly how voluntary it was of him dropping the title, but this is just conspiracy theory bullshit. But it was the right thing if he thinks he's going to be out for a year. In November, when it came out that he you know was talking about taking time off right after that press conference, I said, as long as he's willing to fight by July 4th weekend, keeps the title. If he's going to be, needs to be out longer than that, he should volunteer to give it up. And we don't know whether he volunteered it or if it was one of those Mac Brown at the University of Texas forced retirement things. Yep. You know, but either way, it, you know, you, you can't assume it's any different than how it played out. You know, and after Dana White took three weeks to get his wits about him. He has publicly handled this properly. And I can't complain about any of it. The only misstep that I've seen at all is giving Robbie Lawler the shot. And I can understand the argument for it because Robbie Lawler's been fantastic at 170 in the UFC since he returned. So, you know, there's nothing more to say about it. Yep. Therefore, I will not say anything else. (laughs) All right. Well, then, I was going to let you get the last word on that before we moved on to to, uh, 171 is is a card which is looking very top-heavy with welterweights. Um, as, as we've discussed here and there, Johnny Hendricks is going to be fighting against Robbie Lawler to be the, with the winner to become the new uh, UFC welterweight champion. Carlos Condit was announced today. He's going to be fighting Tyron Woodley. Apparently him tweeting 15 times, or texting Dana 15 times a day for a week straight has finally paid off. And uh, to make sure that the entire welterweight division of American Top Team is represented, uh, Jake Shields is going to be fighting Hector Lombard. So that's a hell of a top three right there. Uh, also on that card, Diego Sanchez, Miles Drury, Thiago Silva versus Ovin St. Pru. That's that's your top five. That's a that's a pretty hefty card, and that is a card that is so strong that I'm definitely ordering that one instead of ordering UFC 170. 
Yeah, what's on 170? Yep. See what I did there? Cormier, Evans, Rory McDonald, Damian Maya, uh, Pyle versus Waldberger, and Javila versus Dos Anjos. Yeah, that's fair. That's a, that's an old... Uh, uh, that one would be worthy of the old uh, European, this one's going to be on Spike TV treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to... Uh, in this day and age, I don't care how many injuries there are, it's really hard to justify having a pay-per-view headlined by by a fight that you can't even call a number one contender fight because Alex Gustafson's going to be getting the title shot if he wins in London two weeks after that. Right. Or, excuse me, one week after that. So, so yeah, 171 shaping up really nicely. 170 really needs to be UFC 151 he says, as a verb. Yes. Uh, moving on, a uh, little more pay-per-view news. Uh, UFC 171, we've talked about all the welterweights. Two people we haven't talked about on that card, uh, John Jones and Glover Teixeira, uh, has now been pushed back to UFC 172, which all we know is sometime in April and might or might not be in Baltimore. If it's in Baltimore, you're, you, you're going to be close to that, being near Philly like you are, so that might be a road trip for you, sir. Oh, that's most certainly a road trip for me. As long as the tickets aren't, you know, Newark, New Jersey uh, priced, then uh, I'll be there. That'll be close. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah I know it. John Jones versus versus Glover Teixeira has now been the main event of UFC 169, UFC 170, UFC 171, and UFC 172. So over under on the UFC number that this fight will actually be on, I say 174 and a half. Over or under? I take the under, but not by much. Okay. It's already the most well-traveled fight in UFC history. <laughs> Indeed, uh, it's interesting. I, I think what's going on is John Jones is very thankful to George St. Pierre right now because I don't think he wanted the fight in March. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, UFC 168 um, is a stacked card, obviously, with uh, Ronda Rousey versus Misha Tate and Anderson Silva versus Chris Weidman being the top two fights. Um, Travis Brown versus Josh Bardet's the number three. I mean, this is a hell of a card. Such a good card that, you know, some guy in the office over at Zufa decided to charge 60 bucks for it instead of 55 And I have more of a problem with this bump being a one-off bump than all of our pay-per-views are going up. Like five years ago, they raised the price five bucks from speaking in high-def prices from 50 to 55 bucks. Yeah. It happens, you know. I mean, it, was, it was during the recession when they did it, and you know, at the time of the recession. All right, but that's it. You know, they're not going to go up anymore. And they've st- the prices have held steady for quite a while. And I understand if prices are going to go up five bucks for every card every five, six, or seven years, whatever. You know, it's not nearly like you know Pacquiao being seventy bucks, uh, eighty-five bucks, I believe. And I might be slightly off on that. Was the price of the Mayweather fight? I mean, it's reasonable as long as they're doing one a month. You know, you buy most of them. If they try and shoehorn two of them into February, you skip the one that doesn't have the title fight, you know, the one that doesn't have Carlos freaking Condit, so on and so forth. Yeah. But what they are doing is a naked money grab. Yeah. Because they're raising UFC 168, which everybody wants to see, and they know everyone's going to see, and, yeah, we'll get another five bucks from each of those million buys. Well, let's say 900,000 buys, you know? So they're like, yeah, we're going to... Four and a half million dollars split between us and on demand at a 55-45 cut, we get about four million bucks for it. So the question I have for you, Sean, if the UFC profits four million bucks off of the five dollar uh, bump one time only, is that worth the the PR hit in your world? Um, Keeping in mind, in your world, you don't have $4 million, much less a billion dollars, so moot point. For yeah. a billion-dollar company, I, I, is $4 million bucks worth the PR hit? 
I probably because it'll probably fade um, in you know a relatively short amount of time with with the, the way the news cycle works. People will forget about it in a couple of months. Um, you know, I, I think at this point it's a bit of a pisser just because you've got you know Dana White saying, "Oh, we're just doing it just because." And yeah, uh, some guy in the office is yeah is somebody, somebody in the office. yeah meanwhile Dana White controls freaking the entrance music of of mm-hmm. the fighters yet he has no say over a five dollar bump in the price right and obviously he was part of like, it he might not have come up with it but he had the ability to to nip it in the butt yeah exactly and and obviously he won't see any of the money either so uh, he no, has nothing to do with it well um, not only that he won't notice any of the extra money yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. No, I mean here's here's my problem with it uh, on the surface. You know, I I've got no problem. You know, if you if you if you want to say, you know, obviously they're um, they're not saying you know overtly, but they're raising the price because people are going to pay it, and that, that's why they're doing it. Now, the I'm the still question, ordering it. I, yeah, I absolutely to admit as outraged as I'm not outraged, as disturbed as I am by it. You know. Yeah, okay. I'm annoyed. It's I'm annoyed. no different than when when you go to you know a Brewers Cubs game in Milwaukee. They're going to charge eight bucks extra for those tickets because they deem them premium tickets. Yeah, I'm sure in Philadelphia, you know, people are that the games against you know in the summer weekends and all that cost more than they do in the weekdays. You know, leave it. Yeah. Right. And here's here's my problem with it though that will not, which will not wait be wait, wait hold on hold on I forgot something. People actually pay to see the Phillies right now. <laughs> That's a whole other subject. Okay. Um, but this 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 is really disconcerting news. But, but continue. <laughs> hey, this is this is from a team that won a World Series five years ago. Which hey, I, I, I will pay the, to watch uh, Roy Halladay pitch any day of the week. <laughs> yeah, I would do. But uh, <sighs> on another subject, the, the thing that makes me annoyed about this the, the At least most he didn't trade Jimmy Rollins this morning. Yeah, uh, the, the, the thing the thing that annoys me the most about this is uh, my constant interruptions. Partially, but uh, <laughs> the other part. The other part is that they will not address um, things like, you know, if, if if you're charging more for a premium card, then how come we don't pay five dollars less for a UFC 170, UFC 149, UFC 149, you know, UFC 119? Yeah, the list goes on and on. <laughs> you know why? Why do we not pay less for a card that, on paper, is going to be terrible when we pay more for a card that on paper is going to be better? I wish they would set the price after the event and have an independent auditor do it, you know, like on, on a reverse curve. Like after the Calgary fight, okay, yeah, 17 bucks. You know, after one of the great cards, okay, that one's a $75 card. Right. It balances out, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, imagine imagine the, the, the fun the actuaries would have putting together those tables and charts. It would, uh, it would definitely be a job. Seriously, that ain't ever going to happen, though. So. No, that would never happen. But yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. But that's I mean that's the problem with it is that you know they're doing it on the, and, and this is this is obviously business and they're going to do it this way because they can. But that's what's annoying about it is that they can raise the price for for a card that looks great on paper but has no guarantee of delivering. You know it could suck. You can know? I tell you, Can I tell you one thing? Yeah. Fabricio Camoys is on the main card of the pay per view that they're charging an extra five dollars for. This is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. You know, I mean, yes, it's it's uh, you've also got Diego Brandao versus Dustin Poirier, which is going to be awesome, but uh, still, you know, it's it's annoying. Uriah Hall is fighting on that card. Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. But I mean, 
little programming note uh, next week and the week after. Uh, we air on Tuesday nights. Um, we are going to defer to Little Baby Jesus uh, next week um, and not air our show on Tuesday, December 24th. We are going to go to Thursday, December 26th, same time, two days later. Uh, we are going to have John Anik on the show with us. Do you know that, Sean? I didn't know that. You didn't know that. That's right. Excited. Prepare. Yeah, you, you you got like nine days to shock the whole, you know, shock and awe out of your system. And then we are not going to air on New Year's Eve, there, trust me, you know, New Year's Eve, there's more chance of us airing on Christmas Eve night than there is us airing on New Year's Eve night, and because, you know, alcohol. So we will be airing the week after that on January 2nd, 2014, and then coming back the week after that, um, after the Singapore card, we'll be back on our normal Tuesday night uh, schedule. Hence the name of the show, the MMA Torch Tuesday Night Conversation Live Cast. So, yes, I know. So the the Tuesday night show is being canceled next week for Thursday, and the week after that being canceled for Thursday. I think you can figure that out, Sean. I'm still confused, but I'll work my way through it. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, you're a team player to the end. Um, moving on a little bit, we got about 15 minutes or so left uh, before we get cut off here. Uh, Anthony Pettis had his knee surgery. He's going to be out about six months. Cain Velasquez had his shoulder surgery. He's going to be out most likely longer than that. Uh, as a result of Cain Velasquez being out, the UFC is not going to be running in Mexico City anytime soon because um, they have, you know, publicly declared that it just doesn't make sense to go to Mexico City without, you know, their their best American fighter. I'm sorry, best Mexican American fighter in Cain Velasquez. Um, Anthony Pettis should be back by July or so. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if it's August. I don't know if if Pettis is the guy that they're going to be wanting headlining Fourth of July weekend. So it wouldn't surprise me if they give him an extra month and we see him back around August. Um, really, no surprise that Cain, the Cain Velasquez fight. It, or that Mexico City is going to be postponed while they wait for Velasquez. Biggest question I have out of all of this, it doesn't directly relate to Velasquez or Pettis, it's Fabricio Verdum who said he wants to wait for Cain Velasquez, whereas the UFC wants him to fight the winner, Travis Brown or Josh Barnett. Assuming Velasquez could very well be out until October, um, if you're Fabricio Verdum and you say you want to wait, do you think the UFC is going to override that and say, no, you're, you're going to fight Brown or Barnett, and that's going to be a number one contender fight, and if you can't win that, tough tuna on you. Do I think the UFC wants that? Sure. Yeah, yeah I do think you, they do. Do you think they can force it to happen? Uh, if If someone tells Dana White that he can't, then yes, he will. Because if Fabricio Verdum sits, good point, um, kind of like sign Ben Askren and get him a title shot right away. Precisely. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, but if Verdum sits, he's going to have fought, uh, when he armbarred uh, Noguera uh, down in Fortaleza, that was June of this year. And let's say, we're just picking October out. That's 16 months out of action. Now, I understand that, that Cain Velasquez would be out of action for a year, too, but that's not the way I would want to go into a fight with Cain Velasquez with rust in my system. Yeah. If I'm if I'm Fabricio Verdum, title or not, I'm telling myself, look, if I can't beat Travis Brown, if I can't beat Josh Barnett, what the hell am I going to do against Cain Velasquez? I'm taking the fight. Yeah. I'm too idealistic, right? Oh, yeah. I'm not cynical enough. <laughs> what I yeah, need to you. do is be more jaded. <laughs> like the worst ever Aerosmith song. That's how jaded I need to be. Yeah, Probably. 
160, UFC 169 had uh, a nice little addition. Uh, there have been a few of them, but the one that I'm looking forward to most is Ali Baga Utinov versus John Lineker in what might become a number one contender's fight for the flyweight championship, assuming John Lineker can make weight. question I have for you is if John Lineker makes weight one time in a row and wins, is that enough for him to get a title shot in a still coalescing flyweight division? Uh, I would certainly be hesitant to give it to him, um, but you know, could it? Ha- <coughs> Excuse me, could it happen? Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, are you? Did you mean he's going to fight Ali Bagotinov? Yeah, Bagotinov. Okay. So Bagotinov. Bagotinov. Okay. I'm pronouncing it like Mike Goldberg. I know. I'm doing Joe Rogan. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like a personal comment, by the way. That you should probably just keep to yourself. See, there you go again, calling out my. Uh, Semantics, whatever, mm. however you yeah, call it. Yeah, that's what I was calling out. My phrasing. Tendencies, I believe, is the phrase we're looking for. But Whatever you say. <laughs> but, so, if, you're hold, if you would hold off, and let's say back to the beginning of the show before I taunt you about Justin Tucker. Um, if you're holding off on John Lineker, even if he looks impressive and makes 126.0 pounds, would you go then John Dotson for the title shot, for the next flyweight title shot? Well, that's the whole thing is, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really want to, um, just because I, I think it would do Dotson better to take a couple, you know, at least a fight or two before he gets another title shot. Um, so, you know, what do you do at that point? I, I think you're you're pretty much tied to uh, Bagotinov or um, Lineker. So, you know, is it the worst thing in the world for, uh, you know, to, to give the fight to Lineker? You know, no, if he can make the, if he can make the weight here. Uh, but if you can't make the weight, I, I think you're kind of tied to Dodson. You know, I, I don't know, I don't know where else you go, unless you unless you hotshot somebody. Yeah, it's not a position I'd like to be in. Uh, Sean Shelby shoes, you know. Yeah. One sixty nine's got a decent little card put together. I mean, obviously the title fight between Cruz and Brown on top to unify the bantamweight titles. Uh, Jose Aldo, for the first time in UFC history, will be a title fight. Uh, in a higher weight class that is not the main event of any card that has two title fights on it, uh, fighting Ricardo Lamas. But let's, Frank, let's let's throw a caveat in there. That's yeah. If the Cruz Barrow fight happens. Yeah, or if Cruz Barrow doesn't get moved to UFC 170, <laughs> right. which would not shock me nope. if either of those fights get moved to 170. Yep. Um, doubtful, but possible. Frank Mir Probably wouldn't be the worst idea either. No, I, I called for it a month ago. Yeah. Uh, Frank Mir versus Alistair Overeem in what has to be a loser leaves town fight. Uh, um, Chris Carriasso over. Then again, if uh, Steve Cantwell could lose five in a row in the UFC, why can't Frank Mir? Yeah, I don't think Frank Mir is going anywhere. Yeah, probably, well, retirement, I would assume. I don't, yeah, that, I don't think he's going to be fighting for one FC anytime soon, you know? Yes. That they're going to cut Frank Mir and say, go out and get some fights at, at World Series of Fighting and then come back to us? You know, no. Yeah, no. they're going to say if uh, yeah if he were to lose, they'd be more likely to say, "Why don't you just work in the booth?" <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And he's actually pretty good in the booth. Sure. In, in my universe, uh, a flyweight fight that I'm really looking forward to uh, the flyweight debut of uh, Kyoji Horiguchi versus Chris Carriasso. Yes. That fight is a really good test for Horiguchi, who obviously looked fantastic his last time out at bantamweight. Yep. Uh, Nick Catone versus Tom Watson. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring that up. Um, no, nah, I'm just kidding. I like watching Cotton, uh, Kong Watson fight. Uh, Alan Patrick versus John McDessie. Anytime McDessie fights, I want to watch it. Yep. Um, Al Iaquinta, anytime he fights, I want to watch it versus someone named Kevin Lee. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and then a couple more fights were announced, but have not been made official yet. New signings. Um, Neil Magny will be fighting against uh, Gassan Umalatov, making his UFC debut. Um, Minnesota's own Tony Martin, who Jamie has seen fight in a couple of regionals and thinks rather highly of, will be fighting against Rashid Magomedov and as we've discussed, uh, Bagatina versus Lineker. Not a bad little card there. I don't, I don't know if it's a $60 card. Well, you know, it might I might be probably, a $55 card. I, I'd go with a, I'd go with a 48.50. 48.50. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's how you scored the, uh, that's how you scored the, the Pettis fight versus Ben Henderson back in the WC, right? Mm-hmm. 48.50. Yeah. So we got about 10 minutes left, which is not as much time as I wanted to taunt Sean and tell his horrible bad beat story and my fantastic fantasy football story, but I'm just going to have to make do. So, I, Sean, I, you can't check out because, you know, I certainly want to make sure you feel every gut punch possible and, you know, as many reactions as, as we can here. I mean, I'm going to be no-selling this the whole way through, just so you know. <laughs> Why should today be any different, Sean? <laughs> This is for me. This ain't for you. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Yeah, you know, you think? Hey, you want to host the show? You can put together. You can do all the show prep you want. You know, you call in at three minutes to the top of the hour. You you have limited input on show prep. You know, <laughs> you could have went out there at three minutes of the hour and said, "Hey, you know, there's some RFA news that I really want to talk about. It might take the last ten minutes of the show." And then I would have had to shuffle the deck chairs around, and this might have been what got lost. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Instead. So so the stupid little league that we're in, where we don't even play for money, we just play for the, for the right to mercilessly taunt each other at the end of the season, which, hey, you know, this is what we're doing. Um, we're in weeks 14 and 15, a cumulative, kind of like, you know, World Cup soccer qualifying. So me and Sean played in one, and Sean had the far better team all year, didn't you, Sean? Yes, I did. I, I, won, I won the league handily. That's right. The regular season of the league, which is kind of like being the Kansas City Chiefs every year of the 90s. As but, I said, I won the league handily. Mm, the regular season of the league. I prefer to call it the league. <laughs> Horrible show. So anyways, two weeks, and then in the other bracket is Jamie versus Frank Hyden, who writes for us. And last week I went out and smoked Sean Ennis by, I want to say, exactly 45 points. So all I had to do was not lose by 45 points or more, and I move on. Well, I'm on an airplane yesterday, or on Sunday, coming back from Sacramento. And I get off the airplane, I look, I'm doing fine, doing fine. And I switch over from Detroit, get stuck in the snow, so it takes me all to check. I check at the airport in Detroit, and all of a sudden I'm down by 10. What the hell happened there? And everybody on Sean's team scored 268 points, and he didn't even have Jamal Charles, who scored five touchdowns. So at this point, I assume, Sean, you're feeling pretty confident that you're going to win this sucker. I was feeling pretty good. You're feeling pretty good. So I had a couple of guys playing the late games, and, you know, I mean, Sean scored like 160 points for the week. I mean, Sean, what, you, what your team did there was ridiculous, you know? Yes. It's a shame you're not the commissioner of the league because if you were, you'd have access to the website and you click on the little link that says adjust scoring and you could get a few extra points that way. Curses. Because <laughs> I guess I know what I have to do next year. See, this, this is why you shouldn't be so passive when people put leagues <laughs> together that you're involved in. <laughs> but the long and the short of it, Antonio Brown scores me a dozen points on Sunday night and Sean and I are literally tied going into Monday night football. And he wins the tiebreaker. Sean, you had the tiebreaker, too. You didn't even have to overpass me. You just had to catch up to me. I know. And you caught up to me. 
and you had top five running back Reggie Bush, and I had some kicker who went undrafted from some tiny, tiny school called the University of Texas at Austin. No one ever heard of this guy, anyways. And uh, He was also a pretty solid kicker all year. Yes, and I'm in the car on the way home late from work, and first drive of the game, what does Reggie Bush do? Scores a touchdown. Scores a touchdown. Gets like 40 yards out of it. I'm down 10. It's over. I stop paying attention. I get home. I write my George St. Pierre call. I click on the other tab just out of morbid curiosity, and, and there's one field goal for Tucker. I'm like, yay. And then 15 minutes later, I check back, and he had two more field goals. He has nine points. I'm down by a point, or maybe two points, because Bush stopped doing anything. Fast forward a few minutes, and we're near the end of the game, and you and I are tied at this point, Sean. And Dan Moore, even in the U.K., our, our U.K. correspondent, actually sent me something about it. Like, wow, what a game. And, and this is, well, like four in the morning, his time, okay? Yes. Talking, talking about our game, mind you, not the game that was actually going on. Right, right. The what a game. The important game. <laughs> and I told Jamie, who's, who's not here to, to verify, but will do so next week, that I foresaw the way this, the game was going to end was I was going to be up by a point and then Justin Tucker was going to miss a 65-yard field goal at the buzzer, and that one-point deduction was going to lead to us tie and you win the tie. Yeah. So I get up, I get up, and, and my guy, my team is up by one point after Detroit scores, and all Reggie Bush would have needed was four rushing yards or five receiving yards to get one more point, and that would have put you tied with me, Sean. Yep. But instead they go to the tight end, Fourier, and I'm much – See, proving what's wrong with fantasy football, I'm much happier that Fourier and not Bush scored the points than I was for the fact that, oh, fuck, this kills the Bears. So Baltimore has the most spastic, horribly play-call drive I've ever seen, and they get fourth down at, like, I want to say the 44-yard line. Or fourth down, yeah, fourth down at the 44-yard line, barely past midfield, and John Harbaugh lets the clock tick, 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 and then and then calls a timeout, changes his mind, decides not to go for it, runs Justin Tucker on the field for a 61-yard field goal with like 30 seconds left. And, and of course, I'm flashing back to my prediction here, where I said flat out Justin Tucker is going to miss a 65-yard field goal at the buzzer. This is a 61-yard field goal with 30 seconds left. Essentially the same thing. A completely unrealistically long field goal. And if he were to actually make it, it would be the longest game-winning field goal in the history of the sport. But whatever. Nailed it. Yeah, I knew he was going to make it. And I I had no doubt he was going to miss it whatsoever. (laughs) No doubt whatsoever. So I got the double whammy going for me of, well, more like a quadruple whammy, because beating you over a two-week spell counts as like three. Yeah. Which was awesome because you were running your mouth all season. I, was, I, mean, people, I, I, I ran my mouth early in the season. I was pretty nice later in the season. You No, you ran your mouth so much at the beginning of the season that it just kind of drifted over, you know? <laughs> I was smoking people, though. Yeah, seriously. You, 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 need, you need to become nicer to people, Sean. <laughs> yeah, that's my problem. Yes, that is your problem. You, you are way too much of a hard ass, Sean. <laughs> I know. Drunken pig. <laughs> So I had that, plus this also, of course, with the Bears. Can you tell it's, you know, we're, we're done with the MMA stuff, by the way, people? Yeah. we got three minutes left. I'm vamping, okay? Plus, then, of course, this puts the Bears back in control of their own destiny. That kind of means a little, 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 little bit to me. I will say, 
I, I probably the thing I'm most proud of about my fantasy season is that I did not play any NFC East players besides the Eagles. Yeah, good for you. Year. Yeah. And where'd that get you? Third or fourth place? I, how dare you? <laughs> how dare I? How dare you? How, how dare you ruin my one moment in the sun after you already after I already lose my season because Reggie Bush can't outscore a kicker? Mm-hmm. Now, my t- my team, the Bears, plays your team, the Eagles, next week That's on true. Sunday Night Football. And I got to tell you, Sean, right now, here's what I want to have happen. Obviously, I want the Bears to win the game. Don't get me wrong. Right. But what I really want is for Dallas to win in the afternoon because then whatever Philadelphia does against Chicago is irrelevant because no matter win, loss, or tie, week 17, Philadelphia versus Dallas will be a winner wins the division, the loser misses the playoffs game. That's what typically happens. Week 17, right. Eagles, Cowboys. So if Dallas loses... Then, so really, I suppose it doesn't matter. I think about it because even if Dallas loses, then Philadelphia has clinched the division. So it doesn't matter to me. So the question I have for you, Sean, your team has nothing to play for. What do you think you're going to do on Sunday? Uh, Chip Kelly's already said he's going to play the starters regardless. Okay. So uh, they they, they don't clinch. starters on defense. They they wouldn't they wouldn't clinch. Yeah, the starters on defense don't matter. Well, if they play their starters on defense, the Bears are going to win the game. Exactly. (laughs) You could say the same thing for the Bears, though. Quite honestly. How dare you? Will you dispute it? How dare you, sir? <laughs> That's what I thought. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sick eighty percent of what's left of Lance Briggs on you. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, I, there's one thing that we can definitely agree on here, okay? Yes. Despite Minnesota slaughtering the Philadelphia Eagles on set, on set, like embarrassing them, humiliating them, just making them look like like a bad UFL team, I like feel that bad about it. a bad XFL team. <laughs> You know, where where the best Philadelphia player last week could have been wearing a jersey that said, I suck, instead of he hate me. <laughs> it's still better to be an eagle or a bear than a Viking right now, correct? Oh, absolutely. And on that notice, Jamie, we're going to we're gonna wrap up the show. I want to thank everyone for listening. I appreciate Sean being such a good sport tonight, because Lord knows I would not have been. <laughs> I wouldn't have been on the show tonight if I had won. Let's just say that much. <laughs> or I may have been here, but nobody would have known about it. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> So that would be like four weeks running. Oh. Oh. What, you didn't put that on a tee? <laughs> Fair enough. Hmm. Anyways, uh, I want to thank you all for downloading the show. Remember, next week we'll be on Thursday night after the day after Christmas instead of Tuesday the day before. You can find us. Uh, the show is in every app store that there is, you know, Kindle, iPad, you know, Apple, blah, blah, blah. I'm old. I don't know what they all are. You can, we have a Facebook presence. You can find us on Twitter, uh, MMATorch.com. There we are. I hate ending the show, so I'm just going to click on the little button that says end episode, and that will be 